So I'd like to, um, again, um, I'm hoping that by sitting up in the chair, the microphone somehow works better. <laughs> Seems to be. Can everyone hear me okay? If I turn my head? Yes? Great. So I'd like to begin this evening by reading um, a couple of passages from discourses from the Buddha. And the first one is from a, um, a discourse called Pots of Food. <laughs> so staying at Savati, and Savati is a place where, where the Buddha spent many rains retreats. He said, monks, if someone were to give a gift of 100 serving dishes of food in the morning and 100 at midday and 100 in the evening, and another person were to develop a mind of metta, even for the time it takes to pull on a cow's udder, in the morning, <laughs> at midday, or in the evening, this second action would be more fruitful than the first. Thus you should train yourselves. We will develop and cultivate the liberation of mind by metta, make it our vehicle make it our basis, stabilize it, exercise ourselves in it, and fully perfect it. That's how you should train yourselves. So the, the, the practice of metta, developing a mind of metta, just for the time it takes to pull on a cow's udder, <laughs> is... is Yeah, is more fruitful than all those hundreds of pots of food dishes. Okay, another one. Um, don't have the title of this one. Um, bhikkhus, monks, whatever kinds of worldly merit there are, all, so worldly merit is, is the benefits of, um, of giving things like pots of food. <laughs> Uh, of, gener of generosity, of, um, yeah. Um, all, all these kinds of worldly merit are not worth one-sixteenth part of the heart deliverance of loving-kindness. In shining and beaming and radiance, the heart deliverance of loving-kindness, of metta, far excels them. And then he goes on, he, um, he, he gives a, um, an analogy here. He talks about how when the sun comes up, it dispels all darkness. It eliminates all darkness. So the, the nighttime darkness goes when the sun comes up. And in the same way, when the... Um, the shining and beaming and radiance of the heart deliverance of metta dispels all the darkness. So, very strong statements, very, very powerful statements, powerful endorsements of, of the metta practice. And what I would like to do this evening is explore... Um, the relationship of, 
of the metta practice and this, um, what does he call it? The, the liberation of mind and the heart deliverance. Um, and the relation of, and, and, and in this relationship um, about um, mindfulness as well, because mindfulness is, is very much a part of this. Um, so, so I, I've, I've found in my practice an understanding of the vocabulary to be very helpful. Just to know what the teachings are actually talking about. And so I mentioned, um, was it yesterday? At some point I mentioned about, and maybe it was this morning, I mentioned about, um, about mindfulness. Um, being a translation of the Pali word sati, and the sati and the word sati, actually the 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 first definition of it in the dictionary is remembering. And I spoke about remembering this morning. I think it was yeah. So so mindfulness is remembering. Mindfulness is also it's 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 remembering as I talked about this morning. And then once the remembering happens, then mindfulness is the paying attention. It's the giving attention to, to what is. And Molly spoke last night about, I think it was last night, about this, this quality of interest. And this, this quality of interest is, is really essential to have along with the mindfulness. Without that quality of interest, mindfulness just easily becomes just paying attention. I just pay attention to the aches and the pains. <laughs> I just pay attention to my struggles. I just pay attention to whatever is going on. And, and, and paying attention in this way, um, and it can be... Um, in, in, in the context of the mindfulness, it can be just the repetition of the phrases. I can just be saying the phrases over and over and over and over and over and over, day in and day out, and perhaps through the night if I'm not sleeping. <laughs> and um, it gets very tiring, and it gets boring. Anyone experience that? So what's, if, if, that's, if that's happening, if you notice that happening, it can be worthwhile to ask the question, where's the interest here? Where's the interest? And one thing, one thing I notice is that when I'm actually interested in something, there's lots of energy. And it becomes exciting. And, and the quality of interest supports the paying attention. So this, this, this quality of interest is very important. And in, in the Buddha's teachings, what, what we often refer to as, as interest, okay, interest, interest in what? What am I supposed to, I can just be interested in my pain. <laughs> this pain in my back, oh yeah, that's very interesting. It's pain, 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 interesting pain, interesting, interesting pain. Um, <laughs> And 
the same thing can happen. So the, the Buddha actually calls this quality investigation of states. It's taking an interest in how it actually is. What's the actual nature of what I'm giving attention to? What can I, what can I say to describe what's happening, which will always be true? And this, this investigation of states, this, this state of things, often referred to as the nature of things, the coming to the, the understanding of the nature of things is insight. And, um, and the, the, the metta practice is a part of, it's kind of, um, how to describe it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a supporting aspect of the practice of vipassana, of insight meditation. So it's meditation for insight. And that's the, the prime intention with the meditation. And, and the, the mindfulness and the metta are the, the, the functions of the mindfulness and the metta are to support the paying attention and the investigation. Okay? So the metta, the metta has a very important function. The metta allows us to stay present. Because in the presence of metta, when we're giving attention with metta, we're not trying to push away or trying to hold on to. Okay? We're just expressing a wish for something. It's not trying to make something. It's just expressing a wish. A wish for safety, a wish for happiness, a wish for peace. And as Molly spoke about last night, we know that these things are conditioned arisings. We, we aren't the boss of them. We don't have to, to think that we have that much control over things. We'd be very egotistical. <laughs> self-centered, giving self-importance. But the, the mindfulness and, and the metta allow us or support us in staying present in the, in the mindfulness and in the investigation so that we can come to understanding, to insight. As some of you have heard me say a number of times, I've, I've looked up in a lot of dictionaries to see what they say is the definition of insight. And almost every dictionary gives some variation of insight is the intuitive seeing into the inner nature of things without thought. Okay, so 
couple of important key pieces in that. One is seeing into the inner nature of things, or the true nature of things, how things actually are, and without thought. So it's not something that comes about from logical thinking. Okay, if you remember, I spoke about the, uh, the two words that are translated as mind. One is manos, which refers to this uh, thinking, calculating, um, rationalizing, um, imagining, um, that, that kind of mind. And the, and the other word, which is citta, refers to the heart mind. Okay? So metta is a quality of the heart mind. And so, so the Buddha, the Buddha says here the um, the liberation of mind by metta, and what he's referring to here is the liberation of the heart mind. And then he says the heart deliverance of metta. So he's he's referring to this this heartful aspect of mind, and and it's it's through that aspect of mind that the insight. The wisdom comes, not through the the thinking, figuring out, analyzing aspect of mind. Okay, so another function of the of the mindfulness, <coughs> sorry, of the metta practice. <coughs> excuse me. Another function of the metta practice is to stabilize the mind so that the mind comes to rest in, not just in the words, but in the, in the interest that goes with it, and also in the bodily experience, particularly in the heart area. Okay? The, the, the repetition of the phrases when they're, when they're done not just as words being repeated over and over and over again, but done with these other qualities, stabilize the mind. It, it, um, it's, like the, um, it's like the sun coming up and eliminating all the darkness. The, 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 the repetition of the phrases helps to set aside all the other thinking all the analysis. It's just being with the, the experience, the experience of the intention behind the, the phrases. Okay, does that make sense? Everyone get some, some glimpse of that, some sense of that? Okay, so Traditionally, one of the uses of the metta practice is to cultivate concentration. And concentration, what concentration means is this concentrating of mind and heart, this focusing. Okay, and it and it it doesn't it doesn't require a tremendous degree of concentration, and 
And it's not the kind of concentration where, oh, I have to get concentration. Ah, I'll use my breath. Ah, 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 oh, I'm, I lost it. <coughs> I lost it. Oh, uh, um, it's not something that's forced. It's not something that we make happen. Concentration is uh, what the Buddha refers to as right concentration or skillful concentration is the kind of concentration <coughs> that naturally arises and I'm sure you've all had this experience in, in, in some way in daily life. It's, it's the kind of concentration that naturally arises when we're really interested in something and the attention just naturally settles on that. So we can really pay attention to it. And, you know, and it could be watching a movie. We're watching a movie and it's so interesting, we just get focused. Popcorn? I forget about the popcorn. People whispering, chatting, forget that. It's just full concentration on the, on the movie. Or reading a book. We get just, just get absorbed in the book. Sometimes we get so absorbed we feel like we're actually in the book. We're, we're part of it. Has everybody had some kind of an experience like this? Okay, so this is... This is the kind of concentration. It's a naturally arising concentration supported by the conditions of the mindfulness and the interest. Okay, so it doesn't require forcing, doesn't require me making something happen, it doesn't require me thinking about it, figuring out how to do it, it's just allowing the mind, heart, to settle. May I be peaceful. This is the peaceful state, this, this settling. So, so traditionally, <coughs> one of the functions of metta is to provide, is to, is to cultivate this concentration which in turn again supports us in staying present staying present in the mindfulness so so we 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 use the phrases we repeat these phrases over and over and over again and and we give attention of course to the phrases but also to the bodily experience, so that the phrases become not just words, concepts, ideas, but they actually become embodied. The wishes become embodied. And what, what, I, what I would suggest um, as we continue in the retreat is perhaps to start giving a little bit less attention to the words and a little bit more attention to the body's response as you're saying the words, as you're repeating the words. Okay, and the body's response may be tiredness, maybe agitation, maybe, I don't know, it could be almost anything. But, 
but opening to that and bringing the interest and bringing in this investigation factor. What is the nature of this? What's the nature of my experience? And the Buddha gives us clues. <laughs> he, gives a, he gives us more than clues. He tells us what the nature is. And uh, so he tells us, he tells us, he doesn't tell us what it is. He tells us what he has realized, what his experience with all of this has shown him. And he says, what I've noticed, what I've experienced, what, what stands out for me is three things. Three things that are, that are true no matter what it is I'm giving attention to. No matter what it is that I'm investigating. There's three things that are always true. And therefore are the true nature. The inner nature. And the first of that, I, I think by now you probably know, it becomes obvious. The first thing is that things come and go. Things are impermanent. All our experiences, whether pleasurable or unpleasurable, difficult or easy, favorable or unfavorable, neutral, they change. Has anyone not noticed that? <laughs> okay, they change. They can't be relied on. We can't rely on any of these things that come into our awareness, come into mindfulness, because they pass away. And something else comes and passes away. And something else comes and passes away. So when, the, um, when, we're, when we're doing the, the metta, when we're practicing the metta and we're feeling very open and loving and spacious and, and kind and it's very pleasant, <laughs> how long does it last? <laughs> okay. It might last through one sitting period if we're lucky. And then we go out walking and we say, oh, I'm going to go outside and it's cold and damp and miserable. <laughs> I'm saying the same phrases, I'm doing the same practice, but the experience is very different. So I come back inside and, oh, this room is too hot. Uh, you know, oh, my, my chair doesn't feel as comfortable as it did yesterday. Uh, it, all, it all changes. And to, to, to really deeply get this, to, to understand this, to see this as a, as, a, as a true characteristic of things, can be, can be a support for letting go. Okay? Letting go, letting go is it's actually a term that I really don't like. <laughs> because very commonly when when I, when I when we think of when I think of when I use that word, that term letting go, what what comes along with it, sometimes just in a very subtle way, but sometimes in a very obvious way, is 
it's getting rid of. And letting go is um, actually a better word that's used in, in some of the translations is relinquishing. To relinquish. It's just to release. So I can, um, I can have my grip on this. I'm holding on and I can, I can let go just by setting it down. That's all it takes. It hasn't gone away. It's still there. So when I need it, I can still pick it up. But it's been let go. And I can turn and do something else and not even think it's gone. You know, I don't even know it exists. So letting go is not to be confused with getting rid of. So when we speak of letting go, of relinquishing, of renouncing, it's not about getting rid of anything. So, so this, this understanding of impermanence, impermanence the, the Buddha referred to it as one of the gateways to this liberation. It's a gateway to liberation, the understanding of <coughs> impermanence. Okay, so in the metta practice, we, we, we cultivate, we practice the, with the phrases, we, we investigate, and we, as we begin to see how things are changing, it, it, can, it can lessen this sense of, I'm, uh, it, can, it can lessen the, 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 the intention of, <laughs> of trying to create a certain feeling, a certain experience. And that can allow us to stay present with how it is, to be present and to be steady with the impermanence. I mentioned how because of the impermanence we can't rely on, so we can't rely on that that beautiful, blissful, pleasant feeling, that loving feeling. We can't rely on that feeling to stay. But we can continue with the wishes. We can continue with the, the wishes for safety, for happiness, for peacefulness. And but be, because, of, because of the unreliability, because we can't rely on them, there's, um, there's an element of um, unsatisfactoriness. And we can start to see, we can start to feel this unsatisfactoriness if we're not relinquishing, <laughs> if we're not letting go. When we're trying to hold on to something as it's changing, it feels it's uncomfortable, it's unpleasant. You notice that? Okay, we're trying to keep something going that's, that's changing. And we feel the discomfort, the unpleasantness. And this, and this, is, um, this is one form of Dukkha, which Molly spoke about last night. Dukkha meaning suffering. And, and Dukkha, suffering. Dukkha, 
dukkha shows in, in different ways. Um, there's, um, there's the dukkha when I bang my toe on the corner of the bed. Um, there's, there's, the, there's the dukkha when um, I want something and I can't get it. <laughs> there's the dukkha when I want to get rid of something and it's kind of sticking around and I don't like it. And there's, and there's the dukkha there's, there's the dukkha of, um, of um, existential angst. Okay, the, the, the dukkha, the, the unsatisfactoriness that comes sometimes when I look at myself and I see things about myself that I don't like or don't understand. I, I don't understand who am I, what am I supposed to be doing. Um, the, the doubting mind is, is an example of this. So this, this, this existential angst is a form of, of dukkha, of suffering. So, so when we, again, when we, when we come to, to see this, when we, when we come up to this and we, and we recognize the, the, the suffering in this holding on and pushing away, when we recognize the unreliability of anything that we're trying to hold on to, this again is a gateway to this liberation that the Buddha speaks about. And so it's, it's something to be investigated. It's something to pay attention to. Not to just go into the into the, the other mind, the, the manos mind. Maybe that's where the word manic comes from. <laughs> manos. Um, it's not to go into that and, and start thinking about it and trying to figure it out and analyzing it, but to, but to stay in the, in the heart mind and just allow the wisdom to percolate, allow the wisdom to show the way. And um, so, so in this way, it becomes a gateway to the liberation. The liberation, the freeing, the, uh, the, the liberation. One way of, of thinking about liberation, what is liberation? It's the ending of dukkha, the ending of the suffering. And then the third characteristic that the Buddha, that the Buddha recognized, and, and, and with all of these, his encouragement is, okay, this is what I've discovered. Start with this and start investigating and see. See for yourself. Is this true? And the third one is, um, the Pali word is anatta. And what it means is without self, without separate or independent selfness. So it's, it's not a negation or a denial of self. It's, um, it's challenging the idea, the, the, um, the belief, the perception of a separate self, that, that this, what I call me, exists separate from all the others that call themselves selves, and the other things that <coughs> might see might be seen as selves. So this this bell has its selfness, 
It's a bell. It's a, it's, actually it's not a bell. <laughs> well, it is a bell like this. It's also a bowl. It's also a, a glass cover. <laughs> it's also maybe a frisbee. Uh, it's um, whatever the mind makes it. So Molly used the line, with mind we make the world. So we make this, the mind makes this into whatever it wants to make it. So, that's a bell. If I hold on tight, in order for it to be a bell, I have to let go. It's still there. I hold on tight. It's still there, but it's not a bell. Okay, the letting go. The letting go allows it to be the bell. So, so these three characteristics are the, the gateways to this liberation of heart-mind. And, and the, meta, the meta practice, so in the meta practice, we, we, we've started for very practical reasons. We've started, we started, we begin with self. We begin with self, may I. And then, and then we go through this process of myself, and then we start to expand outward to a benefactor, and then to um, a friendly person, and then a neutral person, and then a, a difficult, a difficult person. And, and ultimately, we come to including all of them, all of them together, all beings. And it's important in this to remember that all beings includes me. I'm one of those all beings. And, 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 and with this practice, and, and now with, with this practice, perhaps when we bring the interest into it and the investigation, Perhaps we can start to, to recognize and to actually feel, we can feel, um, connections, relationships. You know, when we're, when, we're, when we're using the metta with a difficult person, we might recognize some anger or some... Um, I don't know, revenge wanting, or some, um, some self-righteousness. Um, and, and the reason that we, that we recognize and feel these responses is because there's a relationship. There's a connection. In that moment of feeling these these responses, that person is not separate from who I am in that moment. Okay, does that make sense? And similarly with the friendly person, when, when, I'm, when I'm expressing the metta, expressing the wishes, and the metta is flowing, and I'm, and I'm feeling 
I'm feeling that, you know, and sometimes, in either cases, sometimes the response may be tears, the response may be warmth or coldness, maybe tightness or opening, whatever the experience is, whether it's a difficult person or a very friendly, the most friendly person we can imagine. In that moment of that experiencing, that opening, there's no separation. That person is not separate from who I am in that moment. And so the, the metta practice points us to the, the characteristic, this, this characteristic, this nature of anatta, of non-separate existence. And even when we're not doing the metta practice, just, you know, just living our daily lives, I look around and I, and just in the moment of seeing Sarah, we're not separate. Who I am in this moment is conditioned by that seeing of Sarah. And then I turn and I see Judy. And in that moment of seeing Judy, in that seeing, there's the connection, the relationship. We're all in this together. And, 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 the, and the magical thing is that in the, in the, through the metta practice, we can start to notice this. And the really magical thing is that as we notice this, as we recognize this, the metta becomes stronger. We can start to see that we are not separate in our dukkha, in our suffering. We are not separate in our impermanence. And we are not separate as our perceptions show us. Our perception says we're all separate. I'm here and you're all out there and the whole world is all around me. The perception puts me at the center of the universe. But through the metta we, become, we come to see it's not like that. It's only perceived in that way. And, the, and, the, and, and through these insights the metta becomes stronger because we see that we are all in this together. We're not separate. So, as the, as the Buddha says, just just practicing, just just practicing for the time it takes to pull on the udder, on the cow's udder, can make a huge difference. Just one moment. One moment. Um, it's another another discourse. He says, if for just the time of a finger snap, a monk produces a thought of metta, develops it, gives attention to it, such a one is rightly called a monk. Not in vain does he meditate or she. 
or a layperson. He or she acts in accordance with the master's teachings, follows his advice. How much more so if he cultivates it or she cultivates it? So, strong encouragement. Many snaps of the finger. Many snaps of the fingers to develop, develop this practice and develop this, this metta, this heart's opening, this heart's releasing. I just want to backtrack a little bit and, and in the, um, with, the, with the unfriendly, with the unfriendly person, just as letting go doesn't mean getting rid of, metta for the unfriendly person doesn't mean that I have to agree with or even like that person. It's just the heart's wish for that person's well-being. And how much better the world would be if that person who has done something to hurt me would feel more ease in the world and would, would, um, would, would be a, a kind, would him or herself be a kinder person. And so I wish for that. Even though I don't agree with the person or don't even particularly like the person. It's still the wishing. And, and, and it's also supported by the knowing that we're not alone in our suffering. Okay, so again, encouragement to not to physically snap the fingers, but to think of the finger snapping let that be a, um, a reminder to begin again, begin again, begin again, and come to know the, the heart-mind's release and liberation. So let's sit quietly together for a couple of minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.